Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I hope and trust that you are all well. Before I get started, I would like to give a very special shout-out to the Reformed members of Back to Ashes. Lisa Radford, Ashley Miles, Interscare Wifey, Tina Mead, Stephanie McLaren, Corpse Lover, Gwen Haley, Mana Ash, Norman D.W., Chrissy Elias, Cindy Cleveland, Patty's Niece, and Samantha Place. If you would like to become a member of Back to Ashes or would like to buy me a coffee just as a special thank you, all of that information can be found down below in the description. This was a highly anticipated and requested video, so here you all are. I hope you enjoy it. So please, as you're listening, please leave a like, a comment, share, or subscribe, as it really does help the channel hit the algorithm, and I appreciate your time. With all of that being said, it is time to go back to ashes. For once we arise from the ashes, we are a bigger, brighter, stronger, and happier person in the morning. Sit back, relax, kick back, grab a snack, or tuck in and get warm, and prepare for this dose of vocal melatonin entitled... True Crazy X Stories. Right after this intro and ad will play, I'll read the first story and ad will play, and after that there will be no more ads within this video. Disclaimer, some of these stories might have sensitive material in it that could trigger some people. Listening discretion is highly advised. Quick side note, addressing the lisp that people are hearing, I guess I will have to say this again. I am currently using Bite, which are clear aligners, to fix my teeth. So yes, that is something out of my control. So if you do hear the list, please overlook it. And please, as well, do not leave hateful comments in the comment section. That will easily get you removed and blocked. Thank you for understanding. I was working on Saturday in Tokyo as a private tutor for people whose native language is not English. One student I have regularly is a businessman in his late 40s. I normally dislike Japanese businessmen, but he's always been very kind and seems genuinely respectable. One Saturday, we were in the middle of a lesson when he suddenly began asking about my coworker. I answered what I could about him, but I was a little confused, as I don't think the student has ever met with or had a lesson from my coworker. When I asked why he was interested, he answered, because he keeps walking by and talking to someone, but I don't think it's a student because there aren't any other students here right now. Is he alright? It's a little hard to focus when he keeps talking. But Saturday was Valentine's Day, and my co-worker had asked not to come in that day. Besides, my students, I was alone in the building all day. I didn't see or hear anything for myself, so it kind of creeped me out. I would like to make something abundantly clear in the beginning of this. I was very naive in my youth, very naive. While my ex was emotionally, sexually, and mentally abusive, he was smart enough to never lay a hand on me physically. He used gaslighting, manipulation, and carefully hidden sadism to control me for eight years. I forgave him for every slight against me, 
every instance of cruelty, even mental assault and every sexual attack. I forgave him because I thought he loved me and that I was his property because we'd been together for so long and I wore his promise ring. In my mind, I was dealing with actions that would eventually go away with age. I was 17 when I finally got the courage to leave him, and since then he's left me messages on Facebook, my phone, my email, and called me from texting apps to be a breather. It's always the same message he leaves, I'm still here. Every month like clockwork, same time, same day, same message. He had done this for six years, and I could do nothing about it. He wasn't breaking any laws, so I couldn't report him, and nobody cared about it anyway. So I blocked each account and continued on with my life. But two months ago, the messages stopped completely, and I know why. I got engaged to another man the same day he messaged me for the last time and posted it on Facebook. And magically, the messages stopped. He stopped because I'm going to marry someone else and, in his mind, am no longer his property. This is the only thing that makes sense to me, that he believes I belong to the new man and not him. But I have the feeling I've not seen the last of him. So, to my ex-boyfriend of eight years, leave me the fuck alone. So, to preface this, I was young, maybe 18 or 19, and had no idea what we were getting into. So my father owned three businesses and was actively dating his business partner and was providing for her. She also made advances on me, which kind of creeped me out. She would buy us all food at first. I was grateful. But then I started becoming nervous as she wanted to be alone with me a lot. My father ended up getting married but didn't tell her and she got really upset at him and told me not to tell her. She came to my job and demanded to see my father, to which I told her he wasn't here. She screamed at me and said we would regret it soon. Due to this disturbing nature, I called the cops, and all they did was take my name but didn't actually look into it. So, fast forward. I come home at around 12 midnight as I had just came from my second job, dead tired from school and work. I ate and crashed on my bed. It had to be at least three in the morning when I heard my door open. At first I didn't move because I assumed it was my calico cat, Misty, pawing at my door, as she liked to sleep with me. When I groaned her name, she didn't answer. It struck me as strange, but I wasn't worried until I felt a presence standing over me. I quickly woke up and discovered my father's ex in our house, standing above me, crazy-eyed. She was screaming, saying how she would get her revenge on my father. I quickly rode out of bed, ran past her, and called the authorities. She openly tried to fight my father's wife and tried to stab my dad. The police came and arrested her on the spot. That was the scariest shit I've ever been through. 
and I'm glad I won't see her again. Now I sleep with a blade next to my bed and a taser. Please be careful, as you never know who may pay you a late night visit. This happened to me around Halloween 2018. After work, I visited friends, and after I went home at around 3 a.m.-ish, the bus I had taken to Burnaby, which is next to Vancouver, is a long commute, about an hour's worth. So after five minutes and bored, I decided to check Grinder. After a while, some random guy in his 40s started messaging me with creepy things that he wanted me to come over, to which I replied continuously that I was not interested. I also should mention this creepy guy was on the bus and wearing a Chucky costume that did not help with the creepy vibe. I was getting annoyed at the dirty messages, so I blocked him. I also saw a lot of people getting off, so I assumed he wasn't on the bus, until I hear this creepy voice telling me, Don't act like you are full of yourself. Come over, and we'll have fun. As he is walking towards my seat, I always sit right at the back. So I proceeded to tell him to f*** off, and that I'm going home, and he needs to stop, to which he replied, Oh, I'm coming over, even if you don't want to come to my place. At this point, there were still like 20 minutes left for the bus ride. My phone battery was close to dying, and only drunk girls sitting at the front. So I went and sat close to the bus driver. Stupid me should have texted the transit police or say something to the bus driver. The guy kept staring at me, winking when my bus stop came. I thought to myself that the nightmare was over, but, to my surprise, the creepy guy got off at the same time, then asked me, So, what's the plan, cutie? I tried checking my phone, but it was dead, and the bus stop is literally by a golf course in the middle of nowhere. I live in North Burnaby, and is technically just suburbs. I told the guy to go home and leave me alone. He did not. The f***er was following me and still saying creepy, dirty things. I felt the guy trying to keep up with my pace and felt his hand touching my shoulder, to which my respond was screamed to leave me the fuck alone, then threw a branch at him and ran as fast as I could till I got home. This was a good scare for Halloween season, but creepy Chucky grinder dude? Let's not ever fucking meet again. I'm not sure if this story really belongs in the sub, but I figured why not share it. In September of 2018, I met this guy, Andrew, through a mutual friend on her birthday. Andrew had taken an interest in me immediately, but I was kind of clueless until several of my friends said so. Andrew began texting me a lot, and we eventually started hanging out on our own. A couple of weeks passed by, and we started dating. That's when things started to get weird. 
Whenever I would hang out with my friends, he'd get passive-aggressive about me not spending time with him instead. One weekend, I had seen him almost every day that week, and on Friday morning, we had plans to hang out as well, but I was feeling sick, so I decided to cancel. Later that night, I had a Halloween party and was feeling better, so I decided to go. He got pissed at me, saying I never wanted to spend time with him and whatnot. Other weird things were happening, but in the end, I told him I wanted to end things via text. He didn't take it well. He constantly would text me, asking me if we could meet up in person to talk. At the park, no less. And I just kept saying I thought it'd be best that we didn't. Then he asked my friends for my class schedule. I was a junior in college. They obviously didn't give it to him because they knew all the weird things that were happening. I had to skip one of my classes the next day to make my new schedule for the new semester. And when I got home, my friend had told me he went to that same class. Even after that, he still tried talking to me until I eventually blocked him on everything. You were a character, Andrew, but you scarred me, so let's not meet again. So, I'll just throw this one out there. In the early 2000s, when I was around four to five years old, my parents had just gotten through a divorce and my mom started dating this guy. Anyway, my mom started seeing this guy and he would come over to our house regularly. Things didn't seem that bad at first, but he actually drank daily. This was something I didn't understand yet at my age, but... Yeah. Let's skip to the bad stuff. So this guy wasn't all that bad with my sister, who was two to three at the time. But he took some sadistic interest in hurting me. He'd arrived at our house almost every day, and the first thing he would do was take off his belt and start beating me with it. This got to the point where I would hide if I knew he was coming. As for why my mother didn't leave him then... He threatened to kill us if she did. Now, this one incident is burned into my memory. On one random day, he found a nice little cardboard box. He picked it up and shoved me into said box and sat on top of it. My mother was doing the dishes, and I assumed she couldn't hear me screaming for help as I peered out of the box handle hole at her back. Before he covered the holes with his hands, I screamed for a good few minutes at this asshole, just laughed about torturing me. The only reason he got off the box was that I had a small screwdriver in my pocket that I used to jab him in his ass. This got him to fly off of the box and pissed him off because he wasn't having fun anymore. He picked me up again and carried me off to my room where he proceeded to beat me with his belt. Then, he left me in my room after taking my lamp and locked my door. I was afraid of the dark. So I cried and screamed some more. I did so until he 
finally left and my mother came and opened the door. The random beatings would go on until he eventually got in trouble for something and ended up going to jail. Sometimes I think maybe my mother called the police on him. He called my mom from jail and told her that if she found anybody else, that he would kill her, me and my younger sister. We ended up moving three cities over, and as far as I know, my mother never heard from him again. This asshole is almost single-handedly responsible for several of my long-term phobias. And as an adult now, I could kick his ass if I saw him again. So, psycho asshole, for my sake and yours, you better hope we never meet again. So, needless to say, this is a throwaway account. This is a story I've never told anyone. Because how the hell do you admit to your family you were almost abducted? This happened to me when I was 11, or if you will, in 2005. It was a usual summer day for me. I got up at about noon, went on a bike ride with my brother, then came home and spent most of the remaining daylight in our above-ground pool. We were well off, but by no means rich. So, as I was relaxing for the night and intent on spending the rest of the night playing video games, I decided to check my MySpace profile really quick and spend some of the energy on my games there. As I finish off my Dog Wars energy bar, I'm fit to close out the browser and head back downstairs to play some PlayStation when I get a friend request. Alley, 13, three hours away from nowhere, Kentucky. I click the name because I didn't know an Alley. Not even an Allison or really any girls who had A names at all. She was pretty and 11 years older than me. I just scoff like, why would she want to be friends with me? I almost ignored it. Almost. I accepted the request, and with not much else to do, I sent her a message, asking a simple question like, should I know you from somewhere? She tells me we've not met, but she's friends with one of my friends, Mike. I check out her profile, see she and Mike share a lot of common interests, or on each other's friends list, so it checks out. I don't message Mike to ask him about her, but... I was a very trusting young boy and had no reason to believe she was anything but what she said she was. For the next few weeks, I talked to her every night for no less than three hours usually. We just chat about things, school, music, television, typical kid things. I didn't really think anything about it more than just being MySpace friends until she said that she liked me. I sort of laughed it off, thinking she just meant like in the way friends like each other. However, she clarified that she meant she had feelings for me and wanted to meet me in real life. I live pretty far away from home, so I don't really see how this would be possible. I knew my parents were not about to take me to some girl I'd met online's house. I wouldn't want them to in the first place. 
They were decent parents and all. I just never felt I could talk to them about these kinds of things. So I just shrugged it off. I told her it'd be hard for us to meet because as much as I like riding my bike, a three-hour bike ride to a part of the state I'd hardly ever seen before was not something I'd be comfortable doing. She was very understanding and said that she at least wanted to talk on the phone instead of just messages. I agreed, but told her never to call my number and to always let me be the one to call her because I didn't want my parents picking up and asking questions. She understood, and I called her. The first time I got her dad, and he gave me a gruff, Who is this? It was weird because I had the phone with me at the computer and told her I was calling, and she said she had the phone with her as well. However, I didn't think anything of it at all. I told him it was James and that I was looking for Allie. He told me to hold on a second, and there was a rustling sound on the phone, like someone trying to make it sound like they were handing it over to someone. Again, I didn't think anything of it, and when I heard a high-pitched, Hello? I didn't really think anything more of it. We talked for a few minutes, then she said she had to go because her dad was expecting a call as well. I shrugged it off and told her to just message me and we could talk again later. We kept messaging back and forth for a while, and before I knew it, it was almost the end of summer, and she was not satisfied, having not met me in person yet, so she posed an idea. She said there was an end of summer event going on at a lake near my house. She said she and her family used to go there sometimes and that she could probably talk them into going there for the event. My family usually went to that area on the 4th of July and stuff and having just had a nice time there in July, it wasn't too hard for me to convince my folks at all. A few nights later, she lets me know that they had agreed and that she was super excited to finally meet me. She told me she was going to kiss me as soon as she saw me, and I just sort of blushed and tried my best to make it sound like it wasn't a big deal, like I was some stud who'd kissed plenty of girls before, but I wasn't. I was totally pumped to finally kiss a girl, and it was only a few nights away. I had a hard time sleeping the next couple of nights, and I stayed up most of the night talking to Allie. We were both excited and couldn't wait to meet. It was very much a magical experience. The night before, I think I stayed up until 8 a.m. talking to her. So, the day had come, and after an early afternoon bike ride and a short swim, our family loaded into the car, and my dad took the truck so that me and my brother could take our bikes to the lake with us. There was plenty of bike trails, and we always enjoyed riding there. I told my brother I wasn't going to be hanging with him the whole night. However, and would only ride with him a little bit before I went to meet another friend. He wanted to tag along, like little brothers often do. But I quickly convinced him he didn't want to hang out with me because the kids were mean 
and I was only hanging out with him because of one of them. He didn't ask questions after that. After an hour later, the sun was starting to set, and my brother said he was going back to meet with our parents anyway. He didn't like riding in the dark. He had a habit of crashing as it was. So, when I ventured off on my own, it was without hindrance. I made my way to the picnic area Allie and I had agreed to meet at, and I sat on one of the picnic tables, my bike resting against the side. I sat for a long time, so long that I started to get worried and was ready to leave because the fireworks were about to start and Allie hadn't shown up yet. I stood up and jumped down from the picnic table, and just as I did, a rusty old white pickup truck pulled up beside the tables. The man inside reached across the cab to roll down the window and gave me a weird smile, telling me that he was Allie's dad and that he was going to take me to her. I started feeling strange about the situation, so I just gave him a blank stare and said, What? He turned the engine off, thinking maybe I could hear him over the sound of it, and climbed out of the truck. I said, I'm here to take you to Alley. Hop on in, he said, opening the passenger door and motioning for me to climb in. The truck was full of garbage, and it looked very dirty, and I could smell oil and other things coming from the truck. I gave a crooked look and told him I wasn't going to get in. As he grabbed my arm and pulled me towards the truck, I realized pretty quickly what he was all about. Get in the damn truck, he barked, squeezing my arm so tightly that I thought it was broken. I pulled away, practically giving myself an Indian burn as I told him I was leaving. He came after me, so I did the only thing I could think to do. To repel a grown man twice my size, I reared back and kicked him straight in his balls. I didn't bother to wait and see how he handled the blow. I hopped on my bike and pedaled with all my might back to the other side of the lake where my family was. He didn't follow me. At least I don't think he did. If he did, he might have seen my dad, who is a rather large guy and definitely not someone you'd want to fight with after he had had a few beers. I never saw him again, and when I got home and went to message Allie to tell her what a jerk her dad was, the profile was gone. I saw Mike just before school started, and he said he had no idea who Allie was, and didn't even remember adding her on MySpace. It wasn't until some years later... I realized how terribly close I'd come to being abducted, and God knows what that man wanted to do to me. Allie's dad, I hope I never meet you again. When I was in high school, I lived in a really small town in Texas. It was the kind of place where everyone was either related to each other or hated each other. I had no family there, so yeah. But I did have a pretty blonde girlfriend and was pretty hated for that too. Nothing major, just petty harassment. 
occasional fights, but it had been escalating. So, that's why, on Valentine's Day, my girlfriend and I decided to skip the school dance and just stay in and watch a movie at her house while her parents were out. Just better to avoid trouble. We borrowed her dad's car, a little Honda hatchback, and went into town. We stopped at the video store for a movie and went to the Dairy Queen for some ice cream and then headed home. Now, she lives in the complete boonies, out in the middle of the woods, in the middle of nowhere, along a lonely road with no streetlights. We're chatting, eating our blizzards, when all of a sudden, a car comes up behind us. No big deal. What was a very big deal was that, when the headlights flooded the interior of our car, I saw two hands on the back seat and a head coming from the hatchback part of the car. As soon as the lights hit, the head and hands retreated back down. A solid chill ran through the entire length of my body. I slowly reached down and pulled out my pocket knife. Only thing I had on me at the time. She saw me and asked what was wrong. Loudly I said, Nothing. I just have to stop at my friend's house real quick. She knew that was bullshit. I didn't have any friends. I pulled over at the next house and came up and jumped out of the car yelling at her to jump out too. She jumped out in total confusion. I flipped the driver's seat forward and lunged into the back seat in full maniac mode. He popped up like a jack-in-the-box with his hands waving. Hey, 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 uh, what y'all up to tonight? It was some weird kid from our high school who had never in our entire lives spoken to before. Ever. I said, what the holy f*** are you doing in my car? His reply was, I thought you guys were going to the dance and I was just hitching a ride. We sat there staring at him with our mouths open, wondering what to do. He tried to act real cool and obviously we were in the middle of nowhere in some random person's driveway. So whatever he was planning was forgotten. We actually ended up driving him to the dance and dropping him off. The whole time he's telling us to come inside with him. Yeah, no. We dropped his ass off and noped out of there as soon as we could. As soon as he got out of the car, my girlfriend started crying and shaking. She was seriously freaked out. I have no idea what he was trying to do when the lights caught him crawling out of the back hatchback. Man, I f- hated that high school. Back in December of 2004, doesn't seem real, it's been almost 10 years. I was living in Portland, Oregon, attending college. I was sitting at home one night, writing my last research paper for the term. I had my Yahoo IM up, chatting to a few friends with a message from someone not on my list pops up. Have you ever thought about suicide? Uh, okay... Weird. 
But hey, it's almost midnight on a Sunday night and stranger things have been asked of me before. Can I see your tits? Etc. So I messaged the stranger back for kicks. Sure. Who hasn't at some point? Why? Well, asking the question opened Pandora's box. He battered me with questions about how I wanted to die. Why did I want to die? Why I want to die with others, etc. Obviously, getting creepier and creepier as the conversation continues. But I play along, assuming the guy is just screwing around with me. I ask him his name. He says it's Jerry, and I ask to see a picture. He sends me to a profile picture on Hot or Not, and asks me if I think he's good-looking. I tell him, sure, you're really cute, whatever. He asks me to send a picture of me. I send him a random old picture of a girl on my MySpace friends. Yes, it's that old, I realize now. And he tells me he thinks I'm a 10. Awesome. Thanks, Jerry, who is obsessed with suicide. As the conversation continues, he tells me he's sick of life and women don't seem to be attracted to him. So he wants to end it all. I tell him the things you're supposed to say to people in this situation. Relationships are nothing. You're most important to the people in your life. Don't do it. Blah, blah, blah. I'm not heartless. But I just don't feel like talking someone off a ledge at now 1 a.m. Jerry tells me he's met a lot of women online that want to kill themselves and that he's planning a party for Valentine's Day. One and a half months away, by the way. So everyone can come and do it together at his house in Klamath Falls, Oregon. He asks me if I'm interested in joining. I said, yeah, sure, but make an excuse that I don't have a car to get down there for it. He tells me there are a few women from Portland coming down for it, and one of them has a van. He's sure I could catch a ride. He says he's built a beam in his home that will hold up to 50 bodies at once, but that I shouldn't wear shoes because they'll weigh me down. By now, yes, I'm starting to realize this guy is acting very serious, and this is, in fact, not a joke. So I start asking him specifics, what his address is, what his full name is, who are the women traveling from Portland, he tells me their names and that one of them is bringing her five children with her and that they want to die as well. Huge red flags are up at this point. So while I'm still chatting with him, I call a friend of mine home in Eastern Oregon who works as a 911 dispatcher. She's actually at work when I call her and after telling her the whole story, she advises me to hang up and call Portland Police Department right away. At least give them the info to pass to Kenneth Falls. She makes a record in their system that I've called just in case. I keep talking to Jerry and call the Portland Police. They send two officers out about an hour later, and they pretty much laugh at me when I explain to them what's going on. I print out our chat log, give them the guy's full name and address I've already verified through Google as being legit, as far as Google I can. 
and they tell me to just quit talking to him. Simple as that, then go about their business. Don't I feel stupid now? I call my friend back home and tell her what Portland PD did, and she said to keep an eye on things. If he keeps talking, just keep saving the conversation. So I do. For another two hours, and things just get to the point where I cannot handle him anymore. He's battering me with questions about how I want to die, wearing clothes or naked. Do I want to have sex before I die? Would I have a problem killing kids before? Would I like to hold hands while we hang out? Finally, I just told him I'd be in touch closer to Valentine's Day. For the most part, I laughed it off with some friends because Portland PD never got back to me about anything. So, of course, I assumed it ended up being a very strange prank. Fast forward, February 10th, 2009. A friend of mine calls while I'm on campus on my way to work and tells me some guy down in Klamath Falls has been arrested for trying to set up a mass suicide pact for Valentine's Day. I am completely floored. I run to my office, log on to a computer, and sure enough, it's everywhere on the news forums. Gerald Crane arrested for plotting mass suicide Valentine's Day party. My friend from back home sees the news and calls me, tells me I need to call back the Portland PD and tell them I called this in back in December. I make the call and an hour later, two FBI agents are coming to pick me up at my job, taking me home and taking my entire computer to be analyzed. We sit in my living room and I'm questioned over and over over about my involvement and if I was really planning to commit suicide. I kept telling them over and over that I just talked to the guy as a joke, thought it was some sort of prank and that I only called the cops when he started talking about some woman from Portland bringing her kids too. And I'd given them all the information to the Portland PD officers back in December. How was I supposed to know they never did anything with it? Which they didn't, they sat on it, probably shredded it, and never even sent any of the info to Klamath Falls. The agents tell me the story had gotten a lot bigger and that Crean had contacted hundreds of people. At least 30 had agreed to come on Valentine's Day to his house and commit suicide together. One woman, her parents found some emails between she and Crean and called the police. That's how they finally got involved. Not for me, nearly two months ago. This happened less than a week before Valentine's Day. I'm freaked out. They drop me back off at the college and I tell my boss everything that's happened. She tells me that reporters have been calling non-stop since I left, wanting to talk to me. She said she didn't give them my cell phone number, but that she thought it was only a matter of time before they showed up at the office. I was a student worker. My name is on the campus website and directory, etc. If the AP got a hold of a police report, there was no saying how fast they could track me down. I call my mom, tell her what's happened. She tells me she'll be up that evening to come get me and bring me home for a break. I take four days off, 
turn in what assignments I have left. The FBI has the rest of my tower and head off to Eastern Oregon to wait out the media. Big mistake. Huge. Because by the time I made it back home that night, they'd already tracked my brother and my sister-in-law. They thought it was cool that ABC and CNN wanted to talk to me. She gave them my parents' address and my cell phone number. She's an idiot. I was harassed, chased down, and semi-terrorized until I finally gave an interview to Good Morning America. I hoped it would die down then. The story was out. Who cares? But again, wrong. Very wrong. Apparently, every freaking outlet cares until you give them the 15 seconds of conversation that others didn't get. I had my 15 seconds of fame, and I never want to deal with that shit again. Crean is still sitting in the Salem State Hospital for his crimes of solicitation to commit murder. Mr. Have You Ever Thought of Suicide? Let's not ever meet in real life again. Hello. First of all, the course of the events in this story happened from 2007 to 2012. However, the actual terrifying encounter in the story happened exactly on 2012, two years after my graduation. So, like others who cannot get over with their horrifying encounters, you're not alone, since that encounter still remains fresh on my mind until now. Before we start the story, let me tell you a short story about my father and his family struggles and life in the early days as an immigrant into the USA. My family currently lived in Pennsylvania, Lancaster to be exact. But before that, my paternal side or my family's family actually hails from Romania. They immigrated to the US in 1964. My paternal grandfather fled to the West during the last days of World War II. He was not a soldier nor a collaborator during the war. Being just a regular civilian, he fled to the West due to the widespread bombings in Bucharest. He also feared of getting killed since their house was already damaged by a bomb during an air raid in 1944. Luckily, they survived. When he fled, he was already married and had one kid who was my oldest paternal uncle. They settled and lived in France for 19 years. My paternal grandpa went into several jobs to earn money there. My dad, along with his siblings, were also born and raised there. By the time when they finally immigrated to the U.S., my father was just five years old. My father was the fourth out of five children. My father was the first of five children. After immigrating to the U.S., they arrived in New York penniless. They experienced being homeless beggars in the streets for days. Until my parental grandfather, along with his oldest son, my oldest parental uncle, went into several jobs until they were able to make some money and rent an apartment. 
My parental grandmother also found a job as a cleaner in various parks, and usually my father, along with his two other sisters, my parental aunts, and his younger brother, my younger parental uncle, would come there to help her. After that, my father, along with his siblings, would study and work there for a long time. They were all able to finish primary and secondary education. To be short, they become working students during their time studying there. My dad, along with his siblings, also studied college there. There was luckily enough to finish the studies and find a stable job. My dad planned on applying as a teacher after moving to another state, since education with his course is in college. Unfortunately for his younger brother, he didn't finish his education due to his vices. Instead of using the money to enroll in college, he used it to drink in a bar, buy a cigarette, and the worst, he used to buy the drugs. Sometimes he would even get into fights with his older siblings, including my dad, for allegedly stealing their cash to use for his own luxury. They really felt sorry for him after their parents found out what's happening to him. They forced him to rehabilitate himself for the longest time and was only able to walk free by 1981 from the rehabilitation center. Like he promised to them, he had already changed for the better by the time he was released. Destiny also gave him a second chance. He was able to find a stable job and meet a woman who gave him all the love and time when they got married. It would take years for my father and his family to find a comfortable life. His three siblings did not move to any other states. However, my paternal grandfather and grandmother decided to just move to Pittsburgh. My younger paternal uncle also decided to leave close to them so he can keep an eye on them since they're already old. My father gave in and we moved to Pennsylvania in 1985. His older siblings moved as early as 1983. He settled and lived in Lancaster and he also found a job there as a school teacher. Soon after, he will meet and date my mother until they got married. When I was a kid, Romanian language was the first language for me to learn since I was always close with my dad. I admit I am a daddy's boy. My mom, however, was always busy with her work as a nurse in a hospital, while my father just worked as a high school teacher. I grew up with no siblings, so honestly, I was the only child, and it was so boring for me. Since I don't have any younger brothers or sisters to play and interact with, it will take several years for me to fully understand and learn how to speak English. Honestly, that was hard during elementary. I'm a total loner. I don't have any friends. And the worst part is I was ridiculed whenever I tried to speak English since I always stutter whenever I try to do it. So, to be simple, I can compare myself to an alien during my childhood. A kid with no friends. A kid who was always a whipping boy. And a kid who had nothing to defend himself from the judgment he received. But... Anyways, my parents were always here for me, though even I always get bullied. There would be someone who can stand up for me. 
I don't want to bring back all the harm on those kids. By that time, I just wanted to live in peace and harmony along with them, so I just ignored those bullies. As time passed by, my fourth grade to sixth grade, I was able to make some friends since my parents noted my advisor that I had troubles about communicating in English. Luckily, like a gift from heaven, my mother had a friend who was fluent in Romanian. He volunteered to translate what I'm saying without asking my parents in exchange. So he became my interpreter until I was able to fully speak and understand English. At least my stress has been reduced when I was in the fourth to sixth grade since my parents explained my problems on the school authorities. So they allowed my mother's friend to translate what I'm saying while in school every day. My advisors every school year knew my situation. They were good and all kind to me. My classmates also knew my problem, and they seemed to be good and humble to me as well. My bullying experiences also started to dwindle as those kids who bullied me received a hard-earned lesson from the school authorities. During that time, my parents also enrolled me in an English tutorial school. The schedule of classes there was every weekend. I would frequently attend the school, mostly during the summer. Most of the kids who attended that school were the same as me. They also cannot speak and understand English. When I was in high school, my abilities to communicate and understand English seemed to improve well. Now, I was able to make friends that easily, but I would still stutter sometimes, which would make some students laugh. But I no longer experience bullying that much since I was a consistent honor student until I finished high school. Anyways, back to the story. In 2007, when I was 19, I moved in Harrisburg to study college. I'll be spending four years studying there. Due to privacy reasons, I won't mention the name of the college I went to. During my first month there, life was absolutely great. I lived in a dormitory along with other male students, since our dorms are separated from the girls. Our class had many activities to deal with during the first month, so it was hard for me to have some time to talk with my parents or even relax. I also felt stressed and pressured at first, but I soon realized that I will grow up and become more responsible with dealing with our activities. The campus only housed some students with strange and weird personalities. I could tell that I had several encounters with odd students. Some encounters were funny, but some were also very sketchy. But I accepted the fact that all of this and the campus had different personalities. I made a lot of friends during my first year, one of them being Terry, who became my best friend during most of the college years. Bullying is not an issue in the campus since the system was very good. I also started to actively participate in school clubs and extracurricular activities in the campus, a thing that would make me more socialized. When going back to my hometown and enjoying my time with my family, it only happens fully during the summer. 
However, on spring break or holidays like Christmas break, we usually spend our time working on projects and presentations while at home. On weekends, we are not spared from every activity and assignment, so we usually spend weekends typing on the laptop and researching rather than relaxing and having time with our families. In 2008, when I was a sophomore in college, I met this girl named Laura, who was recently transferred to the university. In 2008, when I was a sophomore in college, I met this girl named Laura, who has recently transferred to the university. I met her when Terry and I went to the girl's dormitory as he talked with his girlfriend, Christine. By that time, Laura happens to be Christine's roommate, and they were both friends as well. During our stay there, Laura began asking me questions like, Do I have a girlfriend? She also stated how she would like to date with a boy like me. I can say that she's clearly into me, but my main focus by that time was my studies. I also claimed that she is only kidding that time, so I just continued to answer her questions as simple as I could without missing a sign that I'm interested in her. I have no girlfriend since birth, but I'm planning to get one after I graduate. By that time, there was a long road for me to walk. A day passed by and I became the topic on Laura's friends. She apparently told her friends about me. And yes, I became a hot topic to them. Meanwhile, Terry and I decided to not yell it out loud and to just tell it to our few trusted friends. However, as time goes by, Laura started texting me. She was able to get my number via Terry. Actually, he had my phone number, since we are close friends since my first year in college. But, believe me, it was upsetting at first since it was a sensitive information, but I managed to accept it as my best friend providing a deep explanation for me to understand. I admit, at first, it was hard to talk to her. Since I'm busy on my studies and I don't have any interest on flirting with her. But I lately realized that I shall grab the opportunity as Terry told me that Laura is really serious on flirting me. So I made a life-changing decision. When I texted her back, she started talking on the phone about various stuff about love. After that, we started meeting in person until we started dating, and officially, she became my girlfriend after several dates. During our relationship, we both exchanged questions to each other, to be exact. She asked me where I lived. I told her I lived in Lancaster, while she told me that she lived in Luzerne. It was normal since people who engage in a relationship would expect to have their hometown asked by their fellow partner. I started meeting her every day. Her calls and texts would become more prevalent than usual. I started meeting her every day. Her calls and texts would become more prevalent than usual. She also introduced me to her friends. They seemed to like me, and I was able to get along with them. As time passed by, I started to know more about her. 
However, she also started to become overprotective on our relationship, and she also started to become annoyed whenever I failed to meet her on time. At first, it was nothing since I know that girls like her wanted a good relationship. However, as time passed by, I decided to talk about my time on my studies. At first, she was upset, but the deeper I explained it to her and convinced her, she approved my decision. Our relationship continued on the course of the college years without any conflict, only short arguments. But everything started to get out of hand during our fourth and final year in college. She changed a lot during the final year. She became paranoid to the extreme, doubtful and envious. She would also start arguments, even inside the campus, which would turn into a scene. It was very embarrassing for me. So, one time, I decided to become distant and focus more on my studies. However, one night, while I was studying, I heard a knock on my door, so I decided to open it. My roommate was already asleep, so I assumed it must be Terry, so I opened it. However, I was young. It was Laura standing straight in the doorway. She had that furious look on her face while looking towards me. She began asking why I started to distance away from her. I explained everything to her and that was that. She angrily left my dormitory without any words. I can't even tell that she didn't even listen to any of my words. One time, while I was heading to the room after the end of our last subject, I saw her inside when I entered. She was vandalizing the room, and to make matters worse, she had began writing something in big letters that said, You are going to pay for this, on the walls. The sign was written in red. The letters almost looked like drawn-in-blood that creeped me out a bit. I immediately took her outside to confront her, but she started to make a scene. It only stopped when the school authorities intervened. Afterwards, I explained everything on them, and it became a sufficient evidence for Laura to be suspended for at least one week. My roommate and I were relocated to another room in the dormitory since our previous room was cleaned up. However, the cleaners found broken glass under my bed while cleaning. Now I know that she was off to no good on her intentions. After that, Laura started messaging me on the phone. The messages ranged from her deep explanations to profanities. She even started threatening me, which is creepy and far disturbing for me. So I had enough and I decided to block her number. But... It doesn't end there. The incident really changed my perspective on Laura, but I'm thankful that I saw her true colors that shine very bad. After her suspension ended, I decided to break up with her. She didn't say any words at all, but her face looked as sick as a parrot, and she didn't show up several days. I did apologize to her when I broke up with her, but I also felt sorry for her because I felt that she might be depressed. But as days passed, I saw her in the campus. She continued to attend classes. However, 
I didn't see her being accompanied by her friends. That made me think that our breakup was also a big impact on her friendship with her friends. However, I didn't expect that she will also use the social media to pour her anger out towards me. One time while I was surfing Facebook, I saw a post from Laura that shows my pictures. The post's captions had profanities. These were intended to insult and defame me, so I had, and at that point, I'd had enough. I reported the post and blocked her on Facebook. I already had enough with her immaturity and malevolent nature, so I just did the right thing. After our breakup, I gained the courage to talk to Terry and my friends. I decided to reconcile with them. Our relationship as brothers started to deteriorate when I started dating Laura, so I apologized to them. They accepted my apology and welcomed me back to the squad. One day, I decided to ask Christine about Laura. She said that she didn't really move on and it made things worse. That's the reason why she requested another roommate to replace Laura. According to Christine, Laura's obsession to me caused her to be imprisoned in a quarantine, so to be simple. She became a prisoner of her own woes and misery. She changed a lot after the breakup. She would cry for the longest time and sometimes she would swear uncontrollably inside the room. She also became delusional after our breakup. She continued to live in fantasy while denouncing the reality. Laura also stated to show her darker side to them, she would get into fights with other students. She would even make threats. She also started to talk about dark and creepy stuff, which scared her friends shitless. Scratch marks also appeared on her arm, which made her friends speculate that she is going to kill herself any time. So they confronted her, but it didn't seem to help. She also became violent. She started throwing her objects violently, and she would even harass Christina and her friends. This caused them to distance away from Laura. Those things shocked me a lot. I expected that she will realize her wrongdoings and change for the best, but oh boy was I wrong. She changed for the worst. Afterwards, I hadn't heard much about Laura. She didn't try to talk to me. In fact, she was always alone. She didn't even apologize to her friends, and it looked like she doesn't have any interest on having friends anymore. Months passed by, and I finally graduated. I was able to erase those bad memories on my mind and move on. After graduation, I decided to go back to Lancaster, which is where I started my new life. Most of my friends who lived in Harrisburg went to enjoy their new life by partying while others went to vacation. My other friends who lived outside the city, meanwhile, returned back on their townhomes, where they celebrated their achievement with their family. All of them would celebrate before they would go into job hunting. Christine moved in with Terry. They both lived in one roof in the suburbs of Harrisburg. I stayed in contact with my friends, however. I didn't receive any news about Laura. 
I expect her to change and finally move on. Meanwhile, after summer, I went into job hunting like all other graduates did. I was lucky enough to find a stable job in my hometown. The salary is good. My fellow co-workers are friendly. My boss is not a jerk, and I easily got promoted due to my skills. I also decided to move out of my parents' house as I bought a new house to live independently. I really expected that my life would be peaceful now. Laura's past actions was not a big concern for me now. I already planned on facing the future and not reversing on the past, and so I did. However, my expectations for a peaceful life was wrong. That doesn't end there. One evening after a long, stressful day at work, I was driving back to my home when I realized a call from an unknown number. When I picked it up, there was just this breathing sound on the other end. So I hung up since I knew it was just a prank caller. However, when I was already at home, the number would not stop calling only for me to hear the same breathing sound in the other end. And then I finally blocked the number and went to sleep. That morning, I saw something in the mailbox outside my house. The mail contained these words, I don't forgive you, and I don't forget. Written in red. That reminded me of what Laura wrote on the walls of our room. But I threw it on the garage, so I knew it was just a prank from some kids. One afternoon, since my shift had already ended, I decided to go home. However, before I could even park in my driveway, in my garage, I saw this mail at the top of the mailbox. By this time it said, You can't run, you can't hide, and you cannot escape. Written in red again. I decided to ask my neighbor about the mail on the mailbox. He said that he saw a car hours ago pulling over on the side of the road directly in my house. Then he saw a girl that went out and she placed a mail on top of the mailbox. That's when my heart dropped. That night, I had so many questions. I knew it was Laura, but how could she know where I lived? My mind is full of questions until I received a call from a random number. I picked it up and I heard a familiar voice saying, Go outside. I have a gift for you. That's when I was shocked. It was Laura telling me to go out, but how could she possibly trace where I live? That's my biggest question by that time. I made a deep breath and went outside my house yelling for her to show up, but I was greeted by an eerie silence outside. Not a single car or a person passed by in the street by that time. But then, I heard a glass shattering behind me. When I looked back, I saw my front window broken. I was very angry at this point. I knew it was Laura, and I'm ready to confront her without knowing the dangers behind it. I can't see anything, so I decided to check my window as I went back to go inside my house. A rock hit me on my head. It nearly knocked me unconscious. That didn't stop me there. There were rocks hitting me. 
It came from the woods, which is very close and parallel to my house. I got seriously hurt, so I dashed towards the front door and slammed it shut. Then I saw pieces of broken glass on the floor. A brick was also in the floor. It had a sign saying, You made the wrong choice. I had enough and I called the police and explained the whole situation to them. Before the police arrived, I decided to take a peek to know if it was Laura. So I slowly opened my door since it had no peephole. But I was surprised when a brick suddenly landed in my front porch. I then shut the door and waited for eternity. The police quickly arrived. I heard them yelling at someone. I then peeked through the broken glass to see the officer storming through the woods since my house was the very last on the block and the place is surrounded by trees. After minutes of waiting, the officers knocked on my door and I immediately opened it. They told me that they saw someone behind a tree near the side street before they got out of the car. The person is wearing all black. They also dashed back to the woods when the officers yelled at them. They chased them. They ended up not finding the person. I told them exactly about my speculations about the person they saw, but they said that they cannot just arrest a person without proper evidence. It was so hard for them to identify whether it was Laura or another person, since the person they saw was wearing all black. I gave the brick with a sign to the officer so that they can turn it in as evidence. After that, they told me to call them if something else happens again, and then they left. The next few days, nothing happened until one Friday night while I was watching TV. I heard a hard thud coming from my front door. It sounded like a rock, so I decided to open the door for me to see another brick with a sign on it. The sign said, I can see you. That creeped me the hell out. And when I looked on the street, there was this white SUV parked directly on the other side, straight parallel to mine. I decided to confront whoever it was, but when I looked inside the SUV, it was blurred so I cannot make up who is in there or was it Laura or just another person. I decided to go back inside and close the door. As I felt sleepy, I decided to turn off everything. I went upstairs to my bedroom, and I fell asleep shortly. I woke up by 2.15 a.m. in the morning. Strangely, the power was gone, so my aircon is turned off, and it was hot. So I went to find out if there is a blackout, but there isn't any as my neighbor's lights downstairs were on. Now there must be someone who turned off the power and switch that is in my basement. When I went out, it was very dark at all corners by that time, so I fetched my flashlight on my room and used it. As I went downstairs, I saw that both front door and back door were closed, so I went to the basement. My basement had a door outside, however. It has no lock, so someone could have break in and turn the power off. It was an intruder, were my first thoughts, but I also knew it was Laura, since I already knew that she was behind all of these 
mails and phone calls and the other throwing of bricks, etc. As I went down to the basement, I switched the power on and all the electricity in the house, and the electricity is back once again, but the light also in the basement opened for me to see someone hiding behind the boxes. When I saw who the guy was, my heart dropped. It was Laura. She was wearing a white dress. Her face was unrecognizable, since it had bruises all over it. Her skin is pale white. She looked like that little girl from the movie The Ring. She is not that Laura that I met on college, but she is something else. My heart started racing as she smiled and asked in a persuading voice, I wanted to be with you again. Can we? I then aggressively yelled, No! Get the f*** out of here or I'm calling the god cops! She stood and started walking towards me while also looking at my soul. She then pulled something from her back. It was a gun and she tossed one box on the floor, only for me to see her deranged obsession with me. It was all pictures of me and college scattered to the ground. She said that she intentionally brought all of these along with her in my basement. She also admitted into breaking in on my room several times while I was in college. She then took one picture, and it was the picture of me sleeping in my room in the dormitory. She showed it to me and said in a kidding voice, You are such a handsome guy, but you wasted such a beautiful diamond like me, so I'm going to make sure that your life is going to be a waste too. She then tore my picture into pieces and aimed the gun at me. I easily evaded as she fired one shot that could surely wake up my neighbors. I then dashed upstairs and tried to lock the basement door, only to fail as she fired another shot at the door. It almost hit me, so I left it wide open as I quickly dashed upstairs, back to my bedroom. I locked my door and hid in my closet. At first, I heard her footsteps going room to room until it stopped at my door. She tried to open the door, but it was locked so she began pounding and yelling in a frantic voice for me to open the door. Then there was a brief silence until she used enough force to break the door. She began searching the whole room with her gun still drawn. Luckily, she passed the closet. She looked on my bed, but since the closet was behind her, I picked up my baseball bat inside the closet, which I always use for self-defense, and took a deep breath. Since my closet door doesn't make that loud sound when I open or close it, that was not a problem anymore. But I still slowly opened the door and tiptoed silently to make sure that her attention wouldn't be drawn to me. Luckily, she didn't hear any noise since she was just standing and staring at my bed like a statue. So before she could even stare back at me, I took another big breath and presumed to hit her back with a baseball bat as hard as I could. It knocked her unconscious. I then tied her up in a chair so she couldn't move. I also called the police and took her gun. The police arrived shortly. 
they entered my house. By the time Laura started to regain her consciousness, as she was handcuffed by the police. However, she began threatening me and even tried to attack me, but she ended up being tackled by the police officers. After that, I pressed charges against her. However, during her court trial, she was declared mentally insane due to her behavior in the courtroom. This led her to be sent in a mental asylum instead. It was not major concern for me anymore since the asylum had a strong and maximum security, so it would be a pain in her ass if she tried to escape. Laura apparently had a mental disorder, and that encompasses extreme obsession, which is dangerous when left uncontrolled. She went into a psychiatric therapy during the course of her trial to determine if she was mentally insane or not. My family and friends knew the incident. I recount one time when I went with Terry and Christine at a bar. They explained Laura's ultimate fate after the graduation. She was apparently missing for 12 days after the graduation. Her older brother had began contacting her friends, including them, but they didn't know where she went. However, one student did contact and report it to the police station. However, he didn't receive any news after that. I know, shocker, right? However, one faithful morning, she returned home crying, apparently. She walked kilometers to reach her home, and she slept in the streets for days. The reason? Her wallet was stolen at the bar, as she was drunk by that time. She arrived home penniless. Months passed by, and her brother started to witness her strange behavior, so he urged her to consult a psychologist, but she refused. Her brother was really concerned for her, so he still forced her to do so. This resulted in a conflict between them. After that, she left suddenly, one early morning, without leaving any mail. As her brother woke up and didn't see her anymore in the house, he began coordinating with the police to track her down. But all their efforts failed, ultimately. During her trial, Laura confessed in the courtroom that the firearm she brought that night was owned by her brother. Apparently, she stole the gun from her brother's drawer while he was sleeping that night before her departure. She also admitted that she was behind all those phone calls, mails, and the bricks being thrown at me. I lately found out that she was able to trace me by having some of my personal information. While we were still dating, I decided to give her some of my personal information. I gave her my phone number and told her where my hometown is, since I trusted her very much at that time. But I moved in my new home. She was still able to track it by simply asking one of my neighbors if they knew where I went. Of course they knew, so it was a piece of cake for her to find out where I lived. Honestly, one small mistake that I made almost killed me. Yet I am lucky enough to dodge the bullet. From now on, I wouldn't trust a person easily. I would observe their behavior and personality before I could truly, fully trust them. I would also become more private of my personal information so I won't end up witnessing a random guy breaking into my house. Afterwards, I moved out of that house and decided to live near my parents' house to be more close with them. 
I haven't heard about Laura ever since until now. Besides, I don't want to hear anything else about her ever again. It's far, far disturbing on what a person can do just because of a obsession. This was three years ago, and I started college down in the country. I was 18 and on Tinder. I never actually met anyone off of it, but I would just swipe through guys just to be nosy and see who was on there. I was swiping right on some, and about an hour after, got a message from this guy, who, according to his account, was about 20 kilometers away. We made some small talk. It was awkward, and I stopped replying. A day later, I got a friend request off of him on Facebook. Mind you, I have a common enough name, so it would have taken ages for him to find out who I was. We have no mutual friends in common, and my Tinder photos is not the same ones I use on my Facebook page. The only thing I had on it was the university I was attending, so maybe that's how he found me. Hell, I don't know. I then quickly got a follow request on Instagram, and he somehow found my Snapchat username. I don't have it on my social media, and it is a variation of my full name with extra added in vowels and an underscore. I was freaked out at this point. I messaged him asking how he found out my full name, and he just replied with, I think I have a connection. I really want to get to know you better. After hearing that, I immediately unfriended him, deleted my Tinder, and blocked the accounts he tried to add me on, on social media. After that, it was quiet for a few months. I was staying in digs and was knuckling down as I had a lot of assignments from the get-go. This was towards the end of November. I had no assignments due for two weeks, so I decided to go out with some friends. One of my friends stayed in student accommodation, and the other was commuting, so she was staying with me and the other friend. I decided to walk back to my digs, as my landlady would probably freak out if I wasn't home that morning, and I really wish I got a taxi instead. A walk back was about 15 minutes from the local nightclub we were at. It was about 3 a.m. at this point. I was at the front door of the house and opening up. The door was annoying as it had two different locks and I had to pull the handle towards me to open it up. It's also tough when you're tipsy and trying not to wake up the families you're staying with. Anyway, as I finally unlock the door, the dark car pulls into the housing estate I'm staying on. It's quite big and has a big green area in the middle for children or people to play with their dogs. The car comes towards me so quickly, I quickly get inside and lock the door. The car pulls into the driveway of the house I'm staying in and just sits there with the full headlights on. I'm there shaking and too afraid to move from crouched below the door as there's frosted glasses about halfway up. As I get the courage to go upstairs to look out of my bedroom window to see who it is, the car pulls out of the driveway and speeds away. A few days later, 
I got a new friend request off the creepy Tinder guy on a Facebook profile, as there were no photos on this account, just the same name. Blocked. It was enough that it caused me to transfer universities the following year. Thankfully, I haven't heard anything else since. I don't know if it was just bad timing or if it was that creep on tender that sat in the driveway, but it was petrifying. If you take anything from this, be careful who you let in on social media or dating apps and what information you have displayed. And that, dear listeners, brings a close to these Crazy X Horror Stories, Volume 1. If you are sleeping, I hope Slumberland is treating you kindly. If you are awake, I hope you've enjoyed this collection. Until the next time, please take care of yourselves. I'll be reading to you soon. Have yourselves a good morning, a good afternoon, or a good night.